On this week's show, a look at British teenage media habits, we choose the moon, and a look at Laws of Cool, a book dealing with knowledge work. On this episode for July 14, 2009, this is Cyber Meets Pilot Episode 2, Laws for Being a Lunar Cool Teenager. My name is Shane Tilton. I'm a senior fellow for the Center for Society and Cyber Studies, and I'm also an instructor of electronic media at Ohio University of Zanesville. What you're listening to right now is the second episode of Cyber Means Pilot, which will be a 15-minute show dealing with the top tech, cyber, and internet stories and issues of the week. During the course of this podcast, we'll put some context behind those stories so you can better understand what those issues can mean to you now and your future online. During the weeks and months to come, we hope to have some guests come on and discuss what technical issues and stories they feel are important, and hopefully we can attempt to clear up some of the static and make the noise more understandable and pull out information from the vast amount of resources that are available online. Today we'll be looking at two news stories and a short discussion on a book that I think is important and really adds to the overall discussion of cyber studies. The first story we'll take a look at will be an analysis of the consumption of media by British teenagers. The report was created by Matthew Robson, who was a 15-year-old summer work intern for Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley assigned him to write a report on how he and his friends consumed media. This report has been discussed in great detail among those in financial and the media field. The biggest point of discussion from the report is that the medium is less important than the ability of friends to share in the experience of enjoying the media. This point comes from Matthew's discussion of how British teenagers are more likely to visit a movie theater as opposed to listen to the radio. Visiting a theater allows teenagers to discuss what they're going to watch and when they'll watch the film. There is more socialization that occurs during the selection and viewing of a movie than any other form of media, according to the research. It seems that the media is less important to teenagers, and what's more important is that teenagers have an open place to hang out, thus the movie theaters seems like a smart choice. The second part of the report that triggered attention is how teenagers view advertising. Mr. Robson talks about how teenagers are more likely to enjoy and respond to viral marketing when compared to outdoor marketing. Teenagers are annoyed by forms of online advertising, such as pop-ups and banner ads, but they enjoy the humor and interesting content found in viral marketing. Something that wasn't mentioned in the report was how some viral campaigns encourage those following the campaign to react and respond to the materials of the campaign. Teenagers can create mashup videos based on content provided by the advertisers and present their creations on platforms set up by the advertisers, for example, MTV's mashup videos, or present their video on much more mainstream media channels like YouTube. Finally, it is important to point out, it seems from the report that teenagers view internet access as a right and very few live in an area with slow internet access and virtually everyone had some internet access. Since this analysis is coming from a teenage male living in London, it is easy to dismiss this point as meaningless. However, as more and more parts of the United States are gaining access to wired and wireless broadband, it is possible that American teenagers will follow the same trends as their British counterparts. Based on the report, this could mean that teenagers will feel less likely to own physical copies of the media, such as CDs and videotapes. Also, this could mean that access to the music will be coming from streaming sources 
like Last.fm rather than purchasing music from iTunes. Our second story reminds me why I used to follow NASA with great interest. I remember being a child and watching every space shuttle launch I could, spending night after night looking at the stars and begging my parents for a toy planetarium set for my room so I could shine the stars on my wall. There were several reasons that space lost interest to me, but NASA, with the help of the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum, is trying to rekindle interest of hundreds upon thousands in the space program with their website, WeChooseTheMoon.org. The website, along with other supporting forms of media, is trying to recapture the excitement around the Apollo 11 moon launch that occurred almost 40 years ago this week. The site shows now the pre-launch countdown and a picture of the rocket on a launch pad. The simulation of a Saturn V rocket is shown with the real-life pictures of the spacecraft. The experience is designed to be a real-life, interactive recreation of the mission conducted by Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins to be the first humans on the moon. The project uses a combination of the main website, which has a series of flash interactive multimedia presentations designed to simulate most aspects of the moon launch. And there are other forms of social media, for example, there are Twitter updates discussing the progress of the countdown and the launch and programs incorporated into the website, like the countdown widget that users can download on their desktops. And this really helps the user feel like they were experiencing the moon launch live in 1969. However, this experience will be hyper-real, as users of the sites will have access to materials that were not available to the general public in 1969. The website may be a simple way for those too young to remember the moon landing for them to experience it with the media tools of today while allowing those old enough to remember the moon launch to experience a form of nostalgia, allowing them to remember a different time with the technology of now. However, it is important to note how this moon launch allows audiences to receive information in a wider variety of forms, as opposed to the limitation of information that was present during the original moon launch. In 1969, people depended on mass media sources to get their information. A person only had either television, radio, or printed copy to tell them how the astronauts were doing in space. During this hypothetical moon launch, we will have the internet and mobile communication to keep us updated. Also, we would have the 24-hour news cycle to keep us informed if this was an actual moon launch. With a simple reliving of this amazing feat that was performed 40 years ago, there may also come a renewed focus of exploring the cosmos during a time where NASA and other key agencies are struggling with their own financial futures. Perhaps it is through a connected network of individuals that people may become inspired to take to space with information gathered online. On time and time looking at books, television shows, movies, and other forms of media that do influence or should influence how we look at society, media, and the internet. Today we'll look at Alan Liu's book, The Laws of Cool, Knowledge Work, and the Culture of Information. 
It may seem like an odd choice to begin a discussion on important cybercultural media sources with a book designed to make sense of how higher education and business professionals process the current information culture. But it seems right when you look at the material and the information posted in the book. The reason that most of us go online is to either experience something or learn something about a topic. Lou's book looks at the creators of this content under a paradigm that is that they are knowledge workers, and the people searching for information online are participating in the culture through lifelong learning. This crucial perspective on knowledge provides the humanities and arts do contribute to the business of knowledge when business attempts to connect to the primary purpose of knowledge gathering online through the gateway of created by online networks. Lou further examines the nature of the internet through a classes and cultural arguments. Businesses will survive if they understand their own identity, how this identity could be understood by those in the cultures they wish to do business in, and how different positions within a business attempt to connect to the larger corporate culture. The mediating role of information technology acts both as the networks for workers to connect to the knowledge economy and the medium for expression of those workers. The first point that the book makes is the difference between how businesses approach knowledge gathering online and how academics and experts in the field approach knowledge gathering online. Businesses use online assets as a way of gaining an innovation advantage over their competition, while experts in the field study and attempt to make sense of the current social environment through what has happened in the past and how others have dealt with similar situations. Lude describes the creative destruction and deconstruction of current knowledge in the field as a method of improving and gaining a better understanding on this new enlightenment we are experiencing through information technologies. Secondly, Lou explores the roles of what he calls automating, informating, and networking in the current knowledge work. Automating describes how workers are alienated from their work, perform a ritual that removes the craft from their work, and leaves the worker with the coldness of their final product. Infomating, which was borrowed from another author, describes the process on how information acts on other information while there is a primary connection to the original information through some type of unconnected interface, thus the idea of a user-friendly interface. While networking was defined as the combination of new technological architectures, such as computers and their networks, and the organizational structures within these networks, all of these roles explain the current environment of the knowledge work. Finally, Lou puts all the pieces together in his section on the laws of cool, which looks at what is technologically and informationally cool. This part studies the formal, technical, social, and political features of cool in the information age in order to understand its potential and constraints as a new popular humanism. High-tech cool is a mode of using information to resist information that creates not so much a subculture or even a counterculture as it would be considered an intraculture of cool within the corporate ethos. The ultimate message of the laws of cool is that cool may be the most authentic response of contemporary culture to post-industrial knowledge work because it holds open a reserve of counter or anti-knowledge, an ethos of the unknown. But nevertheless, in its current form, cool is often also know-nothing, narrow, shallow, self-centered, cruel, and co-opted. Laws of Cool argues that the task of the humanities and arts at the present time is to educate the cool to use technology in a way that mediates between knowledge work and a fuller life work glimpse 
in historically other lives and works. Laws of Cool draws on economic and business history, sociology, anthropology, art and literary history, critical and cultural critical theory, history of information technology, and internet and new media theory. It balances between historical, formal, and theoretical exposition. It extends the author's practical and theoretical work in cultural history and cultural criticism. While sharing an interest in information society and new media studies with many recent books, its intent is to ground those principles into a broader, deeper understanding of culture, which makes that the recommendation of CyberMeans Pilot for this week. I'm telling you, 